Hello, Hi Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through the book of Isaiah, and uh, we have been uh, talking a little bit about how God has been telling them that there's this anointed one coming, this leader that he's raising up, someone who's going to lead them to freedom, but it's not one of their own. It's not someone who's from the line of David, like they might expect. It's not someone who'd be that kind of a messianic figure. It's this Gentile, this someone from another kingdom. And apparently they were not really happy with God's solution. And we're going to see God's response here in today in Isaiah 45 selected verses, where we read this. This is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed one, whose right hand he will empower. Before him, mighty kings will be paralyzed with fear. Their fortress gates will be opened, never to shut again. This is what the Lord says. I will go before you, Cyrus, and level the mountains. I will smash down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. And I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. And why have I called you for this work? Why did I call you by name when you did not know me? It is for the sake of Jacob, my sake of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. I am the Lord. There is no other God. I have equipped you for battle, though you don't even know me. So all the world from east to west will know there is no other God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does the clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop, you're doing it wrong. Does the pot exclaim, How clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father, why was I born? Or if it said to its mother, why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and your creator. Do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? I am the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens. All the stars are at my command. I will raise up Cyrus to fulfill my righteous purpose, and I will guide his actions. He will restore my city and free my captive people without seeking a reward. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God. There is no other. I have sworn by my own name. I have spoken the truth, and I will never go back on my word. Every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to me. The people will declare, the Lord is the source of all my righteousness and strength, and all who are angry with him will come to him and be ashamed. In the Lord, all the generations of Israel will be justified, and in him they will boast. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I read this passage, it reminds me of this common phenomenon um, where people who really don't have the relevant expertise seem to think that they could run the show better than the people in charge. We see this in church. We see this in uh, businesses. We see this with uh, perhaps most pertinent to this uh, passage today. We see this with children and their parents, like, you know, children who seem to think that they know better than their parents, what rules would be fair or, or how old they should be when they get a smartphone or what time their bedtime should be, or whether they can eat dessert before dinner or uh, do you know, play video games before doing their homework. And of course, those same children, like you and I, change their minds pretty quickly when they become parents themselves. It looks different from the other side. And I wonder if God feels the same way with the children of God. Uh, it seems to be in, the, in this passage. Uh, and they, they are questioning, the people of Israel are questioning God's decision to make a Gentile, a pagan, a non, 
non-Jewish person, a non-Israelite, to be the anointed. They probably wanted the the you know the Messiah, the the promised Messiah, the Davidic King, to be the one who would rescue them. And Cyrus is not even a worshiper of Yahweh. I, you know, Isaiah acknowledges that twice here in verses four and five that he doesn't even know God. Uh, and historically, uh, uh, we know that Cyrus appealed to Marduk, the chief god of the Babylonians, but there's also some uh, indication that he was a follow of Zoroastrianism, kind of an early Iranian um, form of monotheism. But uh, he didn't know Yahweh. In any case, the Israelites, doesn't matter which kind of pagan you were, they didn't like the pagans. And so how could God choose a pagan, a Gentile, to be the anointed? In verse 13, he says, I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild the city and set my exiles free. Um, you know, so do children know how to parent better than their parents? Does a pot know better than the potter how to be made? Well, God thinks that that's pretty ridiculous and points that out here. And I think the Israelites would also have issues with the end of this passage because it's not just about whom God chooses for his anointed, but it's also about whom God invites to the celebration. In verse 20, we see it says, gather together and come, assemble you fugitives from the nations. And then verse 22, turn to me and be saved all you ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. And so any and all who are done with the false gods of the nations are welcome to join. And this is once again, as Isaiah has been hinting and developing more, there's this picture of salvation for all who would turn to God. And I think, you know, we talked about idolatry and some of its harms yesterday. And I think perhaps that's one of the biggest harms is that if Israel was not willing to be faithful to God, how would other people witness God's faithfulness? You know, it's like when we're not faithful today, how will uh, how will we be witnesses to the faithfulness of God? Now, of, of course, God's pretty amazing. So even our unfaithfulness can be turned around uh, as it is here. God's redemption of a faithless people demonstrates that God's faithfulness really isn't dependent upon us. And it can be maybe in some ways an even stronger evidence of God's faithfulness. But how much better for us and for the Israelites, if we were to be faithful and participate in showing the world the faithfulness of God. So uh, those are some of the things I see in this passage. And I, I think God at this point is just uh, a little bit tired of the Israelites complaining and the unwillingness to follow God, insisting that they themselves know better than God what should be done in this situation. Dave, I'm wondering what you see in today's passage. Well, you know, if we were having this discussion, you know, 15 years ago, I, I would... Uh, I would not, there would be a detail that would not be all that interesting to me, but given our present time, it's, you know, it just seems like the most interesting thing in this passage. Um, in uh, starting in verse one, right? This is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed one. And you're saying, oh, they'd rather he send a Messiah. That's actually, that's what the word is, right? It mm -hmm. is Messiah. That's what anointed means. Um, and, uh, you know, the word in Hebrew is Messiah. And, um, and so the, but God, basically God is saying, I'm going to use this pagan, right? This person, as you pointed out, who you don't even know me, right? He says to Cyrus. Um, and uh, and so he, he's not doing it because Cyrus is something special. In fact, he says it very clearly. Uh, uh, da, 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 and why did I call you for this work? Verse four, why did I call you by name when you did not know me? It's for the sake of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. He's saying it's, you know, Cyrus, I, I don't don't get you know too inflated a view of yourself. Uh, I'm using you for something that's important to me. Uh, but but it's you know, I it's 
You are not the story here. My salvation is the story here. So that's what I see here. Uh, and the reason why I think this is so interesting now is because uh, this was the, the way that Donald Trump was framed, right? So many conservative Christians who would normally be so put off by some of uh, Trump's personal behaviors and choices, uh, you know, just he, he did not in many ways um, follow the, the dictates of, of traditional Christian character or uh, moral character. And uh, family and values. So, yeah, family values out, out, out of the, uh, just completely forget it. And uh, and yet, why is it then so many Christians could justify supporting him? And actually, they, they referred to him as Cyrus. And they say, yeah, he's not like one of us. Uh, and it's not that we're overlooking all these bad things. We're, we're recognizing, yeah, those things are bad about him. And yet, we think that God can use him. Uh, and I think that was a very interesting um, kind of maneuver. And in fact, uh, I think it's Netanyahu, uh, ben Benjamin Netanyahu of the uh, of Israel. Actually, when Trump was moving the capital from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, uh, the kind of the recogni recognition of the capital, Netanyahu called him Cyrus, uh, which, of course, you know, I think Trump received as a compliment. But actually, in context, I think it was an insult. Right? It was an appreciation. Like, you've done this amazing thing for us. God has used you in this incredible way, despite your character, despite some of these other things about you. And so it's kind of this funny, like, double-edged sword. Uh, and I think on the one hand, I get I, I, I get a little anxious about that, or I, I just don't feel very comfortable when we start saying, oh, look, here is what God is doing. Now, remember, we've talked about this before, that this prophecy about Cyrus was given centuries before Cyrus was born. And so that was part of what made this prophecy so impressive. Uh, it wasn't just a, a justification ex post facto, you know, for, hey, how do we understand God using this, this pagan to save us? Um, so I feel like that context is pretty different from our current political context. Uh, and I think we, we, I'm nervous about the fact that, uh, that many Christians are, are wanting to say, oh, here's what God is doing. And here's then how we justify uh, complicity with things that are contrary to our values. That said, I also think this is a pattern that shows that God can use people often despite themselves. In fact, we even see times, and I, I'm not comparing Trump to Satan, I am definitely not, but I'm making the point that even that extreme, that so oftentimes when Satan is trying to defeat us, God's ends up twisting even his sort of sinister plans for good, right? The, 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 the word to uh, uh, Joseph, um, about his brothers who sold him into slavery, they intended it for evil, but I intended it for good. Uh, we see, you know, with the, the Satan asked to sift you like wheat, um, Jesus tells Peter and the disciples, uh, but I prayed for you so that when you recover, you will strengthen your brothers, that there's this idea that, that in fact, where Satan is trying to tear them down, God's going to use that for, for to build them up. Uh, and so God can use anyone and any. Thing. I believe that. Uh, and I, I believe that every politician is a far, far cry, no matter, you know, kind of how many Bible verses they actually know. Uh, they're a far cry from the actual Messiah. And for us to confuse our political leaders with Messiahs is a dangerous problem. Uh, but, but I also think that, um, that just because God can use someone doesn't mean then we should say, well, then all these other things 
don't matter. No, there should be able to recognition that in fact, God is using this person for good and there are things in that person that are not good. And those two things can both be true at the same time. And in fact, they are always true of every one of us at the same time. Each of us is a little bit of both. And so anyway, I find this to be a, a very, very interesting thing. I'll finally, the last comment I'm going to make, um, that, you know, you had preached in a sermon a while ago, John. I thought it was just a brilliant sermon. It was um, in the uh, the Apostles' Creed series, uh, the one on Jesus being the, the only son of God. And you just you thought you, you were discussing the problem of Jesus being the only way and why that's so offensive. And you said, what we actually ought to be marveling at is not that Jesus is the only way, but that God made any way at all, given all that's been done. And so, yes, Jesus is the only way, but, and I think this is emphasized right here, even as, you know, God is looking forward to coming as Jesus. Uh, in verse 22, he, right there, he's saying, let the let all the world look to me for salvation. For I am God, there is no other. Right? Jesus is the only way, but he is the only way we need. And he is the only way for everyone. And so the, the emphasis is not, Hey, only the, only certain people get access to this. No, the whole idea is this should be good news for everyone. That's why we want to share this good news so broadly, because it's God's good news for the world. I, I remember Erwin uh, McManus talking about how he was speaking to an Indian fellow, and he said, you know, about how he needed Christ. He says, "Well, what about Christians? Like, oh, they need Christ too." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So. Um. Well, Dave, I'm wondering if you'd be willing uh, to pray for us to have uh, wisdom and faithfulness in all of this. Yes. Lord, we recognize that you are able to turn even bad things to be used for good. God, it is a grace that you would use any of us for your purposes. And it's your incredible power that you can use any of us to accomplish your purposes, even Cyrus. So God, you can do it however you want to do it. What we want to thank you for is the fact that you do save us, that you do care, and God, that you do save. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks everyone for joining us today. I, I hope you can go forward with more and more confidence in the God who has the power to save. Go in peace.